At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Countdown with Keith Olbermann is a production of iHeartRadio. Tucker Carlson's January 6th video gaslighting fail and his I hate Trump passionately text may prove to be the least of his problems. Tucker Carlson praised and disseminated the work of a racist Holocaust denier. And just two and a half years ago, Media Matters for America found another text in round three of the Dominion lawsuit document dump, which confirms Carlson is, as they phrased it, quote, a reader of a Holocaust denier who writes for the white nationalist hub Taki Mag. Media Matters discovered a text from Carlson to an unidentified individual dated November 17th, 2020, in which Carlson sent that person a link to the Taki Mag site and added, quote, this is a smart piece. The author of that piece was David Cole, a far right commentator who claims that Auschwitz was not an extermination camp with gas chambers and who questions whether six million Jews really died in the Holocaust. The piece Carlson texted was not about Jewish people. It was about the, quote, third worlding of Chico, California. And in white supremacist circles, third worlding is code for criticism of people of color and other minorities. Fitting, because the site to which Tucker Carlson linked, Taki Mag, has had stories headlined, quote, the trouble with blacks, quote, America's black male problem, quote, blacks behaving badly in Memphis, and quote, our de facto anti-white apartheid. The former managing editor of Taki Mag is the white supremacist Richard Spencer, as in neo-Nazi Richard Spencer, who got punched in the face the day of Trump's inauguration. I know what you're saying. A white supremacist who reads and forwards a Holocaust denier and hosts a Russian disinformation show on Fox, quote, news, unquote. How is this newsworthy, Keith? Well, it's newsworthy because it is not news. 
Not to anybody who, like me, once worked with Tucker Carlson, nor anybody paying attention to previous revelations about Tucker Carlson's racism and misogyny. It's news because at this most vulnerable moment in his career, it reopens an entire huge, ugly, racist can of worms. In 2019, this same watchdog group Media Matters dug up the audio tapes of Carlson's regular appearances, which he began in 2006 when he still worked at MSNBC, on a crass radio show called Bubba the Love Sponge. On tape, still posted on the Media Matters site, is segment after segment in which Tucker Carlson makes racist remarks, in which Tucker Carlson makes sexist remarks, in which Tucker Carlson makes remarks justifying statutory rape. On the show, Carlson said about Barack Obama, quote, I don't know how black he is, but I'm sure he's a good basketball player. He later added, how is he black for one thing? He has one white parent, one black parent. I mean, why isn't he white? On the show, Carlson dismissed Iraqis as, quote, semi-literate primitive monkeys who, quote, don't use toilet paper or forks. On that show, Carlson claimed to criticize underage marriage, saying in the case of statutory rape, however, quote, the rapist in this case has made a lifelong commitment to live and take care of the person. And he later defended the cult leader and convicted child rapist Warren Jeffs, quote, He's not accused of touching anybody. He's accused of facilitating a marriage between a 16-year-old girl and a 27-year-old man. That's the accusation. That's what they're calling felony rape. That's bullshit, unquote. On this show, Carlson went full misogyny. Quote, I mean, I love women, but they're extremely primitive. They're basic. On this show, Carlson crassly attacked everyone from Hillary Clinton to Martha Stewart's daughter to Oprah Winfrey. Quote, the rest of us have been bullied into pretending that Oprah's great, that she doesn't hate the penis, that she's not anti-man, unquote. And on and on and on. And it will all go under the spotlight anew because whether or not Tucker Carlson remains on television at Fox, quote, news, unquote, it is undeniable that at that company, at Rupert Murdoch's level and around it, one of the ways out of the blowback to the Kevin McCarthy January 6th tape fiasco and the Murdoch News Corp Fox crisis over the $1.6 billion Dominion defamation suit and the paralyzing drip, drip, drip of Dominion's awe-inspiring legal filings, one of the ways out Rupert Murdoch is considering is firing Tucker Carlson or firing Sean Hannity or Laura Ingram or CEO Suzanne Scott or all of them. Tucker Carlson is on the ropes, and suddenly there is a text of him from just two and a half years ago telling someone close enough to him to have his cell phone number that a racist column written by a Holocaust denier is, quote, a good piece. That was the last thing Tucker Carlson needed Rupert Murdoch to know, because Rupert Murdoch has moved into the mode in which he is the most dangerous, the mode in which Rupert Murdoch is focused on one thing and one thing alone, saving Rupert Murdoch. And it is not as if the Holocaust denier racist link has somehow erased Tucker Carlson's other problems. While last night Carlson largely backed away from the January 6th story, and particularly the January 6th video story, and did so faster than Geraldo Rivera got out of Al Capone's vault, 
and instead led his show with a transphobic segment in which he concluded that of those honored on International Women's Day, quote, a lot of them weren't actually women, they were lumpy-looking dudes, unquote. Later, Carlson came back to January 6th, but only to that part of which which he has latched onto, which has, I am guessing, resonated with his viewership. The saga of Jacob Chansley, the so-called Q shaman, the guy in the hat, the center point of Carlson's four days of showing meaningless and not particularly interesting January 6th video, including one night with just a few seconds of video and two nights of reruns from the first night, was his ever more heated claims that this Jacob Chansley, this Q shaman, was railroaded and betrayed and scapegoated, and so he represents that gaslit reality of Carlson and the other conspiracy theorists that all the insurrectionists were just, in Carlson's word, sightseers, who were troubled that day by some, in his other word, hooligans. The Tucker Carlson pitch is, Chansley, the Q shaman, was innocent, therefore... Everybody on January 6th was innocent. Therefore, it was an FBI-induced false flag. Therefore, the January 6th committee members are liars. Therefore, they must be investigated and prosecuted. And therefore, Trump is innocent and must walk free. And therefore, the videotape that showed nothing proves all this. Carlson's gaslighting about Chansley had three central components. The video of him walking nonchalantly, certainly nonviolently, around the Capitol that day, often shown with police around him. Carlson showed that again last night, again insisting the video proved Chansley was being escorted around the Capitol by the police. That's his second major central point. This, of course, is rather than the other explanation, which would be that Chansley was not being escorted by police. Chansley was being followed by police, police who were trying to avoid escalation and violence. The third element in the Tucker Carlson saga was the interview with Chansley's first lawyer, Albert Watkins. This was on Wednesday night, in which Watkins claimed he never saw any of that January 6th video before, nor did Chansley, so that Chansley's guilty plea was a miscarriage of justice and somehow needs to be overturned and blah, 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 blah. Then last night, Chansley's current lawyer appeared, and he and Tucker Carlson slimed Chansley's first lawyer, whom Carlson had applauded and praised as a truth teller the night before. Carlson's audience was to believe Chansley's first lawyer on Wednesday night, but then not believe him and, in fact, hate him on Thursday night. My friend Scott McFarlane of CBS News reminded us on Twitter of one important detail that Tucker Carlson ignored when he interviewed the Q Shaman's first lawyer and did not even bring up when he interviewed the Q Shaman's second lawyer last night. The Q Shaman fired his first lawyer. In fact, I can add... That when in November 2021, Chansley fired Albert Watkins, who on Fox was reliable Wednesday, but a jerk Thursday, when he fired Watkins and hired John Pierce, attorney for countless January 6th defendants and the original attorney for Kyle Rittenhouse, Chansley did so claiming ineffective assistance of counsel, referring to Watkins, his first lawyer. And that is when that first lawyer, Watkins, denied Chansley had fired him. And he, Watkins, and the second attorney, Pierce, had a public verbal brawl over who was representing the Q shaman. The first attorney, Watkins, had called Chansley and other defendants from January 6th a string of offensive names. Quote, 
They're all effing short bus people. Quote, these are people with brain damage. Quote, they're effing retarded. Quote, they're on the goddamned spectrum. Watkins later insisted he only used those phrases to force the court to get Chansley the psychological treatment he needed. Regardless, Chansley then fired Albert Watkins, and that was 16 months ago, and he claimed ineffective assistance of counsel. The FBI and the Capitol Police still insist all January 6th defendants had all access to all security video, including the stuff that Kevin McCarthy still inexplicably gave to Tucker Carlson. The reality of the Q Shaman's case, and by the way, he's now projected to be released from prison in July, and Carlson did not mention that either, is that Jacob Chansley's first lawyer called him, quote, retarded, with brain damage, on the goddamn spectrum, and on a short bus, and Chansley fired him. The easiest explanation for the Q Shaman's current predicament is not a vast labyrinthine governmental conspiracy that was successfully utterly hidden from the world for two years and that somebody as clever and cunning but as stupid as Tucker Carlson alone has cracked and which proves somehow that January 6th was a false flag. The easiest explanation is that Chansley had a lousy lawyer, that Chansley didn't figure this out for 10 months and that the new guy also hasn't done crap for him in the 16 months since. Right now, Fox and Tucker Carlson and Rupert Murdoch are underwater. God knows what else is in those Dominion files or if or when that company will make more of it public. The first three rounds suggest that its attorneys have employed an unusual strategy of metaphorically publicly torturing the defendants to litigation death. And as evidenced, there are still things being unearthed from the first three Dominion document dumps. Media Matters just found Carlson sending somebody that link to the racist Holocaust deniers column and insisting this is a good piece. Media Matters also came up with an email from CEO Suzanne Scott to the infamous Fox PR person Irina Briganti, who is, from personal experience, the scum of the earth. And yet, she seems to have been one of the very few Fox executives with one lone principle floating around in their brains. CEO Scott is clearly challenging someone's assertion that it was, quote, unarguable that high-profile Fox voices fed the story that the election was stolen and that January 6th was an important chance to have the result overturned. And Scott, writing to Briganti, adds, quote, please send specifics if so. Briganti replied with just a few specifics. At least 49 of them. 49 or more examples of Fox voices feeding the story that the election was stolen and that January 6th was an important chance to have the result overturned. 49 examples from Janine Pirro and Maria Bartiromo and Mark Levin and Sean Hannity. Fox, quote, news, unquote, is on the ropes. Tucker Carlson is on the ropes. Both may very well escape more or less intact. Fox has before. It survived the Roger Ailes rape scandal. It survived the Bill O'Reilly harassment scandals. It survived the Glenn Beck anti-Semitism scandal. However, it survived the Glenn Beck anti-Semitism scandal by firing Glenn Beck. It survived 
the Bill O'Reilly harassment scandal by firing Bill O'Reilly. It survived the Roger Ailes rape scandal by firing Roger Ailes. If it survives the combined Dominion and January 6th video scandals, it will do so by firing somebody. ahead of us in this edition of Countdown. Hints that Trump may be indicted in New York. This is not a flashback to any of the previous two years. This is a new story. We'll see if there's any weight to it. Lauren Boebert brings a new meaning to the title House Oversight Committee. The nitwit who boasted about becoming a 36-year-old grandmother proves again, other than that, she can't add, and she does not remember who the president was in the year 2020. Jenna Ellis fesses up, admits she misrepresented facts about the campaign that very same year. And it is Fridays with Thurber. And of all the Thurber stories, I'm going to read you the one that was my father's favorite. I went to Sullivan. Tales of Thurber's childhood school. And it wasn't just that it was my dad's favorite. It was literally, and I know how very weird a flex this is, it was literally the last thing my dad heard before he died. That's happier than it sounds, actually. That's next. This is Countdown. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is uncanny usa he says somebody's in the house and i screamed listen to uncanny usa wherever you get your bbc podcasts if you dare like many of us you might think identity theft will never happen to you but consider this there's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the u.s That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash news. That's lifelock.com slash news to save up to 25%. 
Identity theft protection starts here. This is Countdown with Keith Olbermann. Postscripts to the news, some headlines, some updates, some snarks, some predictions. Dateline New York, in fact, at the corner of Stop Me and If You've Heard This Before. The New York Times reporting Trump may face criminal charges in the Stormy Daniels hush money case here. Where were you and what were you doing when you first heard that song? The clue, as the Times phrases it, quote, prosecutors offered Mr. Trump the chance to testify next week before the grand jury. Such offers almost always indicate an indictment is close. Trump calmly responded in a seven or eight part social media post and claimed hundreds of millions of Americans support him. Dateline Colorado, one of Trump's hundreds of millions of lawyers, has admitted to lying, Jenna Ellis, heretofore best known as the canary in the Rudy Giuliani gas coal mine, has been publicly censured after she swore a statement confessing that she knowingly misrepresented the facts in some of her public statements that the 2020 election had been stolen from Trump. A lot of those statements on TV. Hey, does Dominion know about this? Dateline Capitol Hill. The sad reality is that for the whole of the history of this country, some people have run for Congress because... They needed the work. Lauren Boebert just proudly announced that her 16-year-old son had knocked up his girlfriend, so she will be a 36-year-old grandmother. Looks like this was the limit of her math skills, however. During a hearing of the House Oversight Committee yesterday, she had a gotcha moment with Director of the Office of Personnel Management, Kieran Ahuja, except Boebert had a problem with a different subtraction question. What is 2023 minus 3? You're not aware of any employee taking um, something that one would consider a vacation time and bringing their computer and maybe logging in just a portion of that time or not at all. We have we have more than 25 percent of federal employees not logging not logging into work and they're teleworking. Congresswoman, I, I do take issue with the characterization that 25% of individuals are not it's, logging it's in. It's in this leaked document right here that we just submitted into you're, the record. You're basing that from 2020, which is in the last administration, and I can't speak to that. The leaked document was from 2021. Moron. And Dateline, the FBI, Secret Service, and U.S. Attorney's offices here in New York. It is apparent now all of human history divides neatly into two nearly equal and distinct components. Those times when there is a new George Santos scandal and those times when we all know there is about to be a new George Santos scandal. We jumped the cusp yesterday when Gustavo Reyero Treja, a Brazilian man, sent a sworn declaration to those authorities that a credit card skimming operation in Seattle for which he was convicted in 2017 was masterminded by... The man who calls himself George Santos. Treja says Santos taught him how to skim card numbers off ATMs and gave him the equipment to do that with. Santos says it's not true. He adds he'll expand on his denial in a moment. But first, he just has to make a quick run to the bank. Nancy Faust. By the way, I may have just embellished the last part of that story.
ahead, Fridays with Thurber and the story of going to school at the turn of the century in Columbus, Ohio, the turn of the 19th to the 20th centuries, when if you failed the fourth grade, you stayed in the fourth grade for year after year and decade after decade. I went to Sullivan ahead. First time for the Daily Roundup, the miscreants, morons, and Dunning-Kruger effect specimens who constitute today's worst persons in the world. The bronze Trump with great fanfare. Axios, one of those political websites for people who love politics but have no idea what it has to do with government or real life, has scooped the world. Trump is coming out with another book next April 25th called Letters to Trump. He is publishing the stuff that other people wrote to him. Letters from such up-and-coming and current big names as Richard Nixon, Ronald Reagan, Princess Diana, and Regis Philbin. I should point out that this may require that I publish the letter that Trump wrote to me. It is from a decade ago. It is about my coverage of my former employer, Ted Turner, and it underscores what he thought of me. He was a fan. Silly him. One thing though about letters to Trump strikes me might actually be important. Axios reports one of the letters was written by Kim Jong-un. Does special counsel Jack Smith know this? What kind of letter is he publishing? The bronze Elon Musk again, England's independent, reports that when he took over Twitter, he asked many department managers in the company to nominate their employees who they thought were best suited for promotion. Whereupon Musk fired all the managers and replaced them with the employees they just nominated for promotion at lower salaries, of course. Thank goodness there have not been any quality control problems at Twitter since then. But our winner, the host of the Patriot Barbie podcast. That's Patriot Barbie. This is a woman who went on the Newsmax channel to complain that another American crisis has happened to us. News that the actresses portraying Disney princesses at the Disney theme parks don't want to wear corsets anymore. The host of the Patriot Barbie podcast says, liberal women now do not care about trying to look attractive. And ordinarily, I would not make a big deal out of this, except the host of the Patriot Barbie podcast is a woman named... Lindsay Graham. Lindsay, L-I-N-D-S-E-Y, just like the senator. It's the end of the week. I'm tired. Just do your own jokes here. Lindsay, no, he's the other one. Graham of the Patriot Barbie podcast or podcast. Today's worst person in the world. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. 
Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. To the number one story on the countdown and Fridays with Thurber. And I don't know when I went to Sullivan became my father's favorite Thurber story. I suspect it was in the hospital when I was reading to him in the last six months of his life. I know I read it to him at least half a dozen times, the first five by his request. The last time, he did not request it. In fact, and this is the most perverse kind of compliment I think any writer has ever received, I read this story to him. It was the last thing that I read to him. In fact, it was the last thing he did on Earth was to listen to this story in a state of semi-consciousness. He waited till the end of it. He took one deep, satisfied breath and he died. I don't recommend this, but I think it does speak to the quality of the writing. I went to Sullivan by James Thurber. I was reminded the other morning by what I don't remember and it doesn't matter of a crisp September morning last year when I went to the Grand Central to see a little boy of 10 get excitedly on a special coach that was to take him to a boys' school somewhere north of Boston. He had never been away to school before. The coach was squirming with youngsters. You could tell after a while the novitiates, shining and tremulous and a little awed, from the more aloof boys who had been away to school before. But they were very much alike at first glance. There was, for me, in case you thought I was leading up to that, no sharp feeling of old lost years in the tense atmosphere of that coach because I never went away to a private school when I was a little boy. I went to Sullivan School in Columbus. I thought about it as I walked back to my hotel. Sullivan was an ordinary public school, and yet it was not like any other I have ever known of. In seeking an adjective to describe the Sullivan School of my years, 1900 and 1908, I can only think of tough. Sullivan School was tough. The boys of Sullivan came mostly from the region around Central Market, a poorish district with many families of the laboring class. The school district also included a number of homes of the upper classes because at the turn of the century, one or two old residential streets still lingered near the shouting and rumbling of the market, reluctant to surrender their fine old houses to the encroaching rabble of commerce and become, as alas they now have, more vulgar business streets. I remember always, first of all, the Sullivan baseball team. Most grammar school baseball teams are made up of boys in the 7th and 8th grades, or they were in my day, but with Sullivan, it was different. Several of its best players were in the 4th grade, known to the teachers of the school as the Terrible 4th. In that grade, you first encountered 
fractions and long division, and many pupils lodged there for years like logs in a brook. Some of the more able baseball players had been in the fourth grade for seven or eight years. Then, too, there were a number of boys who had not been in the class past the normal time, but were nevertheless deep into their teens. They had avoided starting to school by eluding the truant officer until they were ready to go into long pants, but he always got them in the end. One or two of these fourth graders were 17 or 18 years old, but the dean of the squad was a tall, husky young man of 22 who was in the fifth grade. The teachers of the third and fourth had got tired of having him around as the years rolled along and had pushed him on. His name was Dana Waney, and he had a mustache. Don't ask me why his parents allowed him to stay in school so long. There were many mysteries at Sullivant that were never cleared up. All I know is why he kept on in school and didn't go to work. He liked playing on the baseball team. And he had a pretty easy time in class because the teachers had given up asking him any questions at all years before. The story was that he had answered but one question in the 17 years he had been going to classes at Sullivant, and that was, what is one use of the comma? The commie, said Dana, embarrassedly unsnarling his long legs from beneath a desk much too low for him, is used to shoot marbles with. Commies was our word for those cheap 10% marbles, in case it wasn't yours. The Sullivant School baseball team of 1905 defeated several high school teams in the city and claimed the high school championship of the state, to which title it had, of course, no technical right. I believe the boys could have proved their moral right to the championship, however, if they had been allowed to go out of town and play all the teams they challenged, such as the powerful Dayton and Toledo Nines. But their road season was called off after a terrific fight that occurred during one game at Mount Sterling or Piqua or Xenia. I can't remember which. Our first baseman, Dana Waney, crowned the umpire with a bat during an altercation over a called strike, and the fight was on. It took place in the fourth inning, so of course the game was never finished. The battle continued on down into the business section of the town and raged for hours with much destruction of property. But since Sullivan was ahead at the time 17 to nothing, there could have been no doubt as to the outcome. Nobody was killed. All of us boys were sure our team could have beaten Ohio State University that year, but they wouldn't play us. They were scared. Waney was by no means the biggest or toughest guy on the grammar school team. He was merely the oldest, being about a year the senior of Floyd, the center fielder, who could jump five feet straight into the air without taking a running start. Nobody knew, not even the Board of Education, which once tried to find out whether Floyd was Floyd's first name or his last name. He apparently only had one. He didn't have any parents, and nobody, including himself, seemed to know where he lived. When teachers insisted that he must have another name to go with Floyd, he would grow sullen and ominous, and they would cease questioning him because he was a dangerous scholar in a schoolroom brawl, as Mr. Harrigan, the janitor, found out one morning when he was called in by a screaming teacher. All our teachers were women. 
to get Floyd under control after she had tried to whip him and he had begun to take the room apart, beginning with the desks. Floyd broke into small pieces the switch she had used on him. Some said he also ate it. I don't know because I was homesick at the time with mumps or something. Harrigan was a burly, iron-muscled janitor, a man come from a long line of coal shovelers, but he was no match for Floyd, who had to be sure the considerable advantage of being more aroused than Mr. Harrigan when their fight started. Floyd had him down and was sitting on his chest in no time, and Harrigan had to promise to be good and to say, that's what I get, ten times before Floyd would let him up. I don't suppose I would ever have got through Sullivan School alive if it hadn't been for Floyd. For some reason, he appointed himself my protector, and I needed one. If Floyd was known to be on your side, nobody in the school would dare be after you and chase you home. I was one of the 10 or 15 male pupils in Sullivan School who always, or almost always, knew their lessons. And I believe Floyd admired the mental prowess of a youngster who knew how many continents there were and whether or not the sun was inhabited. Also, one time when it came to be my turn to read to the class, we used to take turns reading American history aloud, I came across the word Duquesne and knew how to pronounce it. That charmed Floyd who had been slouched in his seat, idly following the printed page of his worn and penciled textbook. How you know that was Duquesne, boy? He asked me after class. I don't know, I said. I just knew it. He looked at me with round eyes. Boy, that's something, he said. After that, word got around that Floyd would beat the tar out of anybody that messed around with me. I wore glasses from the time I was eight, and I knew my lessons, and both of those things were considered pretty terrible at Sullivant. Floyd had one idiosyncrasy, though. In the early 1900s, long, warm, furry gloves that came almost to your elbows were popular with boys, and Floyd had one of the biggest pairs in school. He wore them the year round. Dick Peterson was an even greater figure on the baseball team and in the school than Floyd was. He had a way in the classroom of blurting out a long, deep, rolling bia for no reason at all. Once he licked three boys his own size, single-handed, really single-handed, for he fought with his right hand and held a mandolin in his left hand all the time. It came out uninjured. Dick and Floyd never met in mortal combat, so nobody ever knew which one could beat, and the scholars were about evenly divided in their opinions. Many a fight started among them after school when the argument came up. I think school never let out at Sullivan without at least one fight starting up, and sometimes there were as many as five or six raging between the corner of Oak and Sixth Streets and the corner of Rich and Fourth Streets four blocks away. Now and again, virtually the whole school turned out to fight the Catholic boys of the Holy Cross Academy in 5th Street near town for no reason at all, in winter with snowballs and ice balls, in other seasons with fists, brickbats, and clubs. Dick Peterson was always in the van, yelling, singing, beeing, whirling all the way around when he swung with his right, or if he hadn't brought his mandolin, his left, and missed. He made himself the pitcher on the baseball team because he was the captain. 
he was the captain because everybody else was afraid to challenge his self-election, except Floyd. Floyd was too lazy to pitch, and he didn't care who was captain because he didn't fully comprehend what that meant. On one occasion, when Earl Baddock, a steam fitter's son, had shut out Mound Street School for six innings without a hit, Dick took him out of the pitcher's box and went in himself. He was hit hard, and the other team scored, but it didn't make much difference because the margin of Sullivan's victory was so great. The team didn't lose a game for five years to another grammar school. When Dick Peterson was in the sixth grade, he got into a saloon brawl and was killed. When I go back to Columbus, I always walk past Sullivan School. I have never happened to get there when classes were letting out, so I don't know what the pupils are like now. I am sure there are no more Dick Petersons and no more Floyds. Unless Floyd is still going to school there. The play yard is still entirely bare of grass and covered with gravel, and the sycamores still line the curb between the schoolhouse fence and the Oak Street car line. A street car line running past a schoolhouse is a dangerous thing as a rule, but I remember no one being injured while I was attending Sullivan. I do remember, however, one person who came very near being injured. He was a motorman on the Oak Street line. And once when his car stopped at the corner of six to let off passengers, he yelled at Chudy Davidson, who played third base on the ball team and was a member of the terrible fourth, to get out of the way. Chudy was 14 years old, but huge for his age, and he was standing on the tracks taking a chew of tobacco. Come on down off of that car and I'll knock your block off, said Chudy in what I can only describe as a sullivan tone of voice. The motorman waited until Shooty moved slowly off the tracks. Then he went on about his business. I think it was lucky for him that he did. There were boys in those days. I went to Sullivan by James Thurber. Thank you for listening. Countdown has come to you from the studios of the Old Room Broadcasting Empire, high atop its headquarters in the Sports Capsule Building here in New York. Here are the credits. Most of the music was arranged, produced, and performed by Brian Ray and John Philip Chanel, who are the Countdown Musical Directors. Produced by TKO Brothers. All orchestration and keyboards by John Philip Chanel. Guitars, bass, and drums by Brian Ray. Other Beethoven selections have been arranged and performed by No Horns Allowed. The sports music is the Olderman theme from ESPN2. It was written by Mitch Warren Davis, courtesy of ESPN Inc. Musical comments by Nancy Faust, the best baseball stadium organist ever. Our announcer today was Kenny Main, and everything else is pretty much my fault. So that's Countdown for this, the 794th day since Donald Trump's first attempted coup against the democratically elected government of the United States. Arrest him now while we still can. The next scheduled countdown is Monday. Until then, I'm Keith Olderman. Good morning, good afternoon, good night, and good luck. Countdown with Keith Olderman is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is uncanny usa he says somebody's in the house and i screamed listen to uncanny usa wherever you get your bbc podcasts if you dare xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month no matter what kind of entertainment you love addicted to true crime catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on a e crime central crave adventure explore asian action movies on hayah searching for something extreme check out skating snowboarding and more on fuel tv plus the global home of action sports and find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's hit nation playlist there's new free shows and movies to love every week say free this week in your xfinity voice remote 